Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Before we get into the Q&A for today, because guys, I know it has been a very, very long time since we've done Q&A. We don't go usually that long, but I guess here lately we've been going pretty long, but y'all have outdone yourselves here lately with some of your questions. I do want to implore you guys, how we keep the lights on is you guys. We've talked about that over and over. So if you would go to undaunted.life backslash donate and consider being a partner with us, that's the thing is we want to do so many more things and the things we want to do take a lot of time and they do take money. And guys, I'm just going to be very upfront with you. A lot of people weird about asking for money, but that's what we do. We've given away hundreds of hours worth of content for absolutely free because we want there to be some value there for you. So we are asking for a little bit of that back from you. Become a monthly partner, whatever it takes. I mean, you spend 15 bucks a month on Netflix, 25 bucks a month on Starbucks or something like that. We would ask you to consider partnering with us. You like how I knocked my desk there? Partnering with us so that we can continue to help guys like you push back darkness. But let's go ahead and launch into our Q&A for today. Let's go with our first question. And this one, I got to be honest, when I got an email from this guy asking these questions. It really kind of pissed me off a little bit, but I'll kind of get into it here. So here was the question. Why should I listen to your show? What are your credentials? Now, I kind of distilled this guy's email down to that. But essentially, this guy was like, hey, I found you on this other show. I found you, you know, you know, through the grapevine or whatever. And I just don't, I, I don't really know if I should be listening to you. Okay. Uh, I don't really know if I can trust you. I don't really know any of those things. And so my initial reaction was, you know, not very positive. I was just kind of mad at this guy, like, who's he to, you know, kind of like question me. And then I kind of thought about it. It's like, okay, this guy's making sure that I'm not going to be, you know, Stephen Furtick all in his ears and all those different things that he's, that I'm a legit dude. But the way that I responded to this guy is he asked me about my credentials without using the words credentials. And credentialing can be very, very dangerous when you're evaluating people, whether you're a hiring professional or just otherwise. Okay. So you could have gone to Harvard Law School and ended up being a really crappy lawyer. That's certainly possible, right? You could have gone to some sort of like high flight theological school and got your master's in divinity or whatever, and you could still be a heretical preacher. You know what I mean? And so for this guy, it's like, so I, I have an MBA, right? I have a master's of business administration. So does that mean I'm really good at running a business? Maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of people that run really very successful businesses that are billionaires that have never set foot in a business school, right? And so what I told this guy is I said, look, he, he wanted me to put a bio on my website and like explain my background and all these different things. The thing is, is we put up on the website what we want to put up on the website. Okay. And we have specifically not, we've specifically chosen not to put my bio up on the website because we don't think that it adds anything to the experience. We're here to equip men to push back darkness. And so does me being from Lawton, Oklahoma, help us push back darkness? No. Does me getting a full ride scholarship and studying leadership and, and communication and business, does, does any of that make sense in terms of us being able to push back darkness? Giving you the name of my church and my pastor and all these different things so that you could look at them and see if they've said anything obscure over the last like 30 years of public ministry. Is that going to help us push back darkness? And the answer is no. So the ultimate answer is we've done over 200 episodes, right? This is episode, you know, 220 something, right? We've done over 200 episodes. There's my resume. If you listen to the show, you could even just pick, pick five random episodes, pick five random numbers between one and 200 and listen to those episodes. And if you feel like I'm full of crap, listen to another show, listen to something else. Like I've invited so many people to not listen to my show because, you know, maybe they don't like how I talk or maybe they don't like how I look or they don't like my perspective on this, that, or the other thing, or they agreed with me for a hundred and, you know, 97 episodes. And then it was episode 198. I don't even know what that episode was. That's the one that was like, oh, that broke the Campbell's back. Sorry. Like if you don't want to listen to this show, if it doesn't agree with your sensibilities, if it offends you, if it hurts your feelings, don't listen. Right. So to anybody that's wondering what my credentials are, I got an entire podcast episode list for you. Just scroll through and start listening. All right, guys, next question here. What are your thoughts on the recent polls about co-president Biden, co-president Harris, Donald Trump, and Ron DeSantis? Okay, so co-president Biden, co-president Harris, they are getting trounced in the polls right now, especially co-president Harris. She is 
one of the least likable politicians in American public life and Hillary Clinton still exists. So that is a damning thing for the Democrats because you can sense that the plan was, okay, let's get Biden in the white house. You know, that this supposed moderate guy who's just going to like be normal. This is a return to normalcy and politeness and all those different things. But that obviously he wasn't going to really be able to make it through his first term. The guy, whether you agree with his politics or not, the guy's not there mentally. And I'm not saying that to be funny. This is actually really horrible what they're doing to this man, right? And maybe he's along for the ride. Maybe he enjoys it. But what they're doing to this man is really, really terrible, right? This is a man that is clearly suffering mentally, and yet they just keep trotting him out there in front of the television screens. It's, it's really, really bad. But Kamala Harris is so unbelievably unpopular that they can't just you know, have Joe Biden after the midterms kind of right off into the sunset and we get, you know, 18 to 24 months of Kamala Harris and then she runs for president, you know, full presidency, not just co-presidency and, you know, beats out, you know, whoever the Republicans are putting up. But I think the Democrats are panicking a little bit right now. They know the polling is terrible for them. Uh, They pretty much disagree on all of the things about their platform. And people are realizing that Joe Biden is not acting terribly moderately. You know, he'll say some moderate things, but he's allowing the far left of his party to really run the roost in his White House. Okay, so Democrats are panicking. But then we kind of go over to Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And I think I talked about this in the last Q&A episode. Um, I think with Donald Trump, he is permanently tainted goods, right? Whether you voted for him or not, whether you like him or not, what happened on January 6th, whether or not you believe it was a big deal or not, the majority of the American public believes that that was Donald Trump's fault directly. Now, That may be factually inaccurate. I tend to, you know, fall more so on that side of things. He never called for what happened to happen, right? But he's completely tainted, right? And so if the Republicans trot him out there and to give him another shot at Biden or even Kamala Harris, I don't know that that's going to work out well for Republicans. And I know a lot of Trump people are really, really sad that I would say something like that. They're, they're, They're mad about that. They don't really like that idea, but he's really damaged goods. But the polls that have been coming out recently, it basically has him in the lead in terms of these straw polls. They always do these straw polls that are like three years out from an election or more. And, you know, Donald Trump is at the top of these straw polls with Ron DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida, right behind him. Right. So if I were to make a prediction right now, being almost like literally almost four years away from the next election, you know, I think it's going to be Donald Trump running as the presidential pick for the Republicans and Ron DeSantis running in as his VP. Because Ron DeSantis doesn't want to go up against Trump because nobody on the Republican side can actually beat Trump because Trump is this all consuming force of gravity. He has his own gravitational pull. I think that would be horrible for Ron DeSantis because Donald Trump would do everything in his power to absolutely destroy that man. And then that puts, you know, a, a, you know, purple state in Florida that puts them in jeopardy. Right. That because that's a swing state, big time swing state. So, again, as I've said before, as of right now, I think Ron DeSantis would be the best person to represent the Republican Party. Uh, I know he's doing a lot of red meat type things for his base with covid and lockdowns, and he keeps pushing back against Joe Biden. But this is a guy that has the best parts of Donald Trump. I've said this before, the best parts of Donald Trump, but he lacks that super ego that just can't let anything go. So the polls right now, again, they don't really matter. I think Jeb Bush was like uh, the guy that was going to be the guy before Donald Trump was the guy. And so obviously we see how that worked out. But those are my thoughts on some of those polls that have come out recently. All right, as I do on most Q&As, you guys want to know about UFC fight picks, but you know, I've had a lot of people asking me about Conor McGregor and everything that went on, so here's a question here. What do you think about Conor McGregor breaking his leg against Dustin Poirier in the rematch? his actions in the cage after the fight and his actions since. So for those of you living, you know, under a rock, you know, you weren't one of the 2 million uh, pay-per-view buys or something like that in the rematch at the end of the first round, Conor McGregor snapped his tibia and fibia whenever Dustin Poirier kind of checked a kick. You can see that he maybe uh, kicked Poirier in his elbow, maybe a few seconds before that, but then he kicks it. Everyone thought he broke his ankle, but he actually broke his tibia fibia. But then immediately, it brings back these these memories of what just happened to Chris Weidman. And then before that, when Chris Weidman had fought Anderson Silva and those two guys broke their legs. And those guys are just writhing around on the, on the mat, on the canvas. And they're just, they're going crazy. They've broken their leg, horribly painful, all that. But when Connor broke his leg, it was like it just made him mad. Like he was just so angry. 
Like he's he's sitting up against the cage. You know, they call the fight. They wave the fight off. And he's yelling and he's screaming. And you can't really hear what he's saying because there's not a microphone by. But he's pointing at Dustin Poirier. He's pointing at his wife. He's saying things about his wife. And then Joe Rogan famously goes over there and sits down next to him because, you know, apparently Conor McGregor called him over, said, hey, hey, let's let's have a, a podcast, lad. Like, let, let's get over here. Let's do this. And he's saying these horrible things about, you know, Dustin Poirier's wife being in his DMs and, you know, how he's going to he's going to kill him and he's going to do all these different things. Again, there's some grace you can give because the guy did just break his leg, but it was it was a gross display there after the fight. Not really anything that you could defend. But of all the people to have a great take on this, I thought that Ronda Rousey had a really, really good take on this, surprisingly, because she doesn't really pop her head much up on MMA stuff. And she said, this guy breaks his leg. He loses to Dustin Poirier for two fights in a row, a guy that he smoked in their first fight in like 90 seconds. And he has the mental wherewithal to sell the next fight. And that's exactly what Conor McGregor was doing, right? Because he's absorbing this bad guy image now. He even posted a picture on Instagram the next day, which was a perfect tweet. It was him being, you know, carted out of the, the arena on the stretcher and everything like that. And it was like, uh, oh, what was the quote? It was a Scarface quote, but it's like, um, everybody needs a bad guy or, you know, you know, everybody wants to know the bad guy. I'm sorry. I'm messing up the quote for all you Scarface fans, but he was basically embracing this Scarface, you know, bad guy that some people still kind of like moniker, even like the Heisenberg stuff, you know, with breaking bad and that kind of thing. And so he was selling the next fight because he's going to be out for a very, very long time. Obviously, you know, there's probably going to be complications. Chris Weidman's had complications with his leg, even post-surgery. He's going to have to have another surgery and all that. So we're not going to see Conor McGregor for a very long time, which is kind of normal now. You know, Conor will fight once a year and, you know, he doesn't really have a super active streak in the last several years, but he's still in that next fight. Everyone's going to pay attention, whether he fights Dustin Poirier again, whether he fights Nate Diaz or, or somebody else, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty apparent that he's still going to be relevant. Now his actions since he's, he's had some very cryptic tweets that he's since deleted, you know, talking about Habib Nurmagomedov and his dead father and all that. And he just comes off looking incredibly petty, incredibly mean. And so if he is trying to embrace that Scarface thing, right. To, to be the bad guy, like, you know, Hey, everybody's looking at the bad guy right now. He's doing that, but he's crossing some lines that fans aren't going to forgive him for. Because he's always going to have a large contingent of fans, especially Irish fans, that will say Conor McGregor can do no wrong. When he punched the, the old man at the bar, whenever he threw the you know dolly at the bus, when he did all these horrible things, they can still forgive that. But he's really kind of wearing out people like me that have been a big Conor McGregor fan. It's like, how can you support that? How can you support a guy acting like that? Even if it's kind of kayfabe, even if it's kind of, you know, he's like doing the pro wrestling thing and he'll still shake the guy's hand after a fight. It's getting a little bit tiresome at the moment. Okay, but now uh, we're going to move on to some fight picks. There's not a lot of fights that have been announced officially. There's some stuff that have kind of been talked about. So I'm only going to be talking about UFC 266. That's on September the 25th. So that's a ways away from now. But there's just a bunch of fight nights between now and then fight nights rather. So there is the featherweight championship fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. Now, Brian Ortega came back and he fought Korean Zombie and he looked incredible in that fight. But until further notice, I think Alexander Volkanovsky is the best 135 or 145 on the planet, the best featherweight on the planet. The guy just has a, he's an incredibly tough guy. He's an incredibly strong guy. He has great wrestling. You know, Brian Ortega's striking has improved considerably, but Brian Ortega got absolutely destroyed by Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky has beat Max Holloway twice now. So got to go with Alexander Volkanovsky. There's another title fight. That is the women's flyweight championship 125. That's Valentina Shevchenko and Lauren Murphy. And aside from Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko is the most dominant champion in the UFC. Not, not just women's divisions, the most dominant champion. What she does in fights, like she gets mad when people think like, I think in her last fight, there was a girl that people thought maybe would be able to grapple with her. And so Valentina didn't strike as much, but she grappled a bunch and just whooped this girl on the ground. And so I really like watching her fight. She's probably going to be like a minus a thousand favorite in that fight. So that's easy pickings. Bet the house on that. Bet the neighbor's house on that. Bet their farm too. Valentina Shevchenko is going to beat Lauren Murphy. And then the other fight that's here, it's the return of Nick Diaz, and he's got a rematch against Robbie Lawler. So this is Nick Diaz's first fight since his no contest against Anderson Silva in 2015. 2015. So six plus years without fighting. Now, him and Robbie Lawler had a very good fight back in the day. He ended up finishing Robbie Lawler. This is a weird one to pick because Robbie Lawler has been very active. 
in these last six years and Nick Diaz has done nothing. And so could Nick Diaz come back and have a bunch of ring rust? Maybe. Could he come back fresh as a daisy and just put it on Robbie Lawler? I don't know. But as of right now, I think you have to go with the known entity and the known entity right now is Robbie Lawler. He's been fighting and fighting with some levels of success over the last six years. You know, his last several fights, not so much, but that's still a very dangerous dude. And he still thinks about the Nick Diaz fight a lot because that's one of the fights that he lost. So I'm going to go with Robbie Lawler on that one. All right, next question here. Can I work out with you? And then another question that I get asked a lot is, can you post your workouts on social media? So I'll start with the second one first. So I used to do a workout of the week for Undaunted Life. And it became a little bit cumbersome and not everybody could do the workouts because maybe they didn't have a home gym or whatever. But one of the reasons why I don't post my personal workouts on social media is because those are the workouts that are good for me. So some of you guys out there that you don't have the means, whether, you know, your gym doesn't really allow that type of lifting or you don't have a home gym, maybe you can't do front and back squat easily right? Because your, your gym has one squat rack and there's always the same dude on it or something like that. You know, maybe, uh, you have shoulder problems and you can't bench. Maybe you've got low back problems and you're really struggling with deadlift or you haven't had proper coaching. And so if I just said, Hey, do what I do, there's nothing you should do. that should be blanket applicable to everybody when it comes to fitness. And that includes diet, right? For some people being ketogenic is going to be great for some people being, you know, carnivore, meditarian diet, like that's going to be great for them, but it's not great for everybody else. And so that's part of the reason why I don't post my workouts online. Uh, now in the future, we might do some workout planning for people. And again, I don't have like a kinesiology background. I've just been working out since I was like 13 or 14 years old. So I know a thing or two. I picked up some knowledge along the way, but that's the reason why we don't post stuff on social media as of right now. But then the other one, this is a question that I've gotten a lot, like surprisingly a lot since we moved into the new house and I have a home gym. I think we've been in this house four or five years and it's, can I work out with you? Okay. So what a lot of people mean by that is not, Hey, I don't have a gym available to me. You have a gym. You're my buddy. Can I come work out? It's, Hey, I want you to train me. Hey, I want to do what you do. Hey, you're in really good shape. I want to be in really good shape too. Can you be my coach? And so this is kind of that one place in my life where I've made a conscious decision to kind of be a little bit of a douche like that one place, because that is my me time. Yeah, yeah, everyone talks about their me time and I got to have time for me. That's my me time, okay? When I wake up early before my wife and son and dogs are even awake and I go hit the garage, I put on a podcast and I work and I work really, really hard and I never want to. I wake up and all I want to do is roll back over and fall asleep, but I get up, I get my shoes, I go to the gym in my garage and I get after it, okay? Everything I do is timed as well. So my breaks in between sets are timed. So if I'm working out with somebody, okay, now we're changing out his weights and, you know, now we're doing his thing. Now I'm spotting him and now he wants to talk about something. Now he wants to do, ah, I don't want that, right? I don't want that at all. The overwhelming majority of the time I spent lifting, except for a small time after college, I've lifted alone. So I'm very, very used to it, but that's very cathartic for me. It's the one place in my life where it's just me. I don't have to worry about what's going on with my wife, with my son, with anything going on with the podcast, anything with work or any friends. That's just me. I'm just in my zone and that's my selfish time. And so a lot of guys have asked about that and, you know, they're not always happy with my response, but that's kind of my one little area that I need to protect for myself because that's how I get my, my mental health and my mental strength is by getting after it in the mornings. Okay. All right. Next questions here. These are a bunch of questions kind of wrapping up the Tokyo Olympics. Okay. So, you know, I guess I didn't really talk about from the top of the podcast, all the different things that we're going to be talking about, but yes, we're going to be talking about the, the Olympics. We're going to be talking about the vaccine. We're going to be talking about all kinds of other things later on. But we got a lot of questions about the Olympics and recapping all that. So let's just kind of dig into these here. What are your thoughts overall on the performance of Team USA in the Tokyo Olympics? So whenever I was preparing this podcast, it looked like the United States was not going to win the gold medal count. Like we were going to win by, by a wide margin, the overall medal count. But on the last day of competition, I believe the U.S. won three or four gold medals. And so the U.S. ended up with 39 gold medals and China only had 38. So we just edged out China. I think they were up two going into the last day. And so U.S. also added 41 silvers, 33 bronze for a total of 113. China had 38 golds, 32 silver and 18 bronze for a total of 88. So the United States won the, the total medal count and the gold medal count. I believe they've done that for four or five Olympic games running, except for in 2008, Beijing, just off the top of my head, I think China won the gold medal count, but lost the overall count. And then the, the Russian Olympic committee, which is a really stupid way of saying Russia, we're pretending like, oh yeah, Russia had like a state sponsored doping thing. And then all of a sudden we're not going to call them Russia. We're just going to say Russian Olympic committee as if they're still not doing the doping with these athletes, but they got third great Britain got fourth and Japan got fifth in terms of the medal count. So, 
um, early on, U.S. did not do well, seemingly. Um, they left a lot of medals, specifically gold medals in the pool, uh, on the track and in other places. I was astonished. I mean, I even saw, I think it was the four by 100, the men's four by 100. The U S didn't even qualify for the final. I think they got sixth in the semifinal. Even Carl Lewis came out and was like, are you guys kidding me? We have some of the best sprinters in the world. Every single time there's a competition and we can't even qualify for the final. So even as as proud as I am that the U.S. did win uh, the most amount of goals and the most amount of uh, medals total, there were a lot of medals that the United States should have won that we didn't. So that's kind of my overall thoughts about Team USA. Overall, I'm very, very happy with the performance. And then uh, we're going to go in and get some other uh, questions here more specific. So were you mad when Simone Biles won a bronze medal in the balance beam individual competition? And the answer is yes and no. So the no is, I'm really glad an American athlete won a medal, right? Regardless of the color, you'd prefer for it to be gold. But yeah, she won second loser. She got she got the bronze medal. But the thing that does kind of make me a little bit mad is that she should have gotten gold in that event because she's the best in the world at that event. She also should have got gold in the vault and in the floor exercise and in the all around. And again, I've done an entire episode on Simone Biles, so I'm not going to really go there. You know, go back and listen. It was a few episodes ago. I did my entire episode on that. But none of my none of my opinions have really changed. They've only been further entrenched. This woman is being celebrated as a hero for quitting. You know, she goes out there and she accepts her silver team medal for a competition she didn't even compete in. She didn't play in the game and she wasn't really hurt, right? So, it, and it's a little bit different than if, you know, you decide you don't want to play game seven, your team wins anyway, and you still get the championship ring, right? It's just, it just didn't feel right. You know, you have Carrie Strug breaking her leg to, to do the vault for her team and all these different things, but Simone Biles can't get there. And everybody's all just, they're way too eager to make an excuse for this young lady, right? Oh, you know, she had aerial, you know, whip-de-doos and that causes you to be d- dangerous. And it, oh, you don't want to do that. And you know, what, what about her mental health? We're only worried about her physical health and all these. We keep giving her excuses that she's not making. The things she said, and I, I detail that really, really in detail on that episode, most of the things she said was that she didn't really feel right, she wasn't really having a lot of fun, and you know all these different things. Is it possible that she has a real diagnosable physical ailment? Yes. We didn't see that. But yes, I was happy that we got another bronze medal, but we should have got a lot more. And part of the reason why the U.S., it looked like we weren't going to win is literally one Olympian, our greatest Olympian going into these games, Simone Biles decided she just didn't feel like it. Okay, next one here. Were you reading, sorry, here we go. Were you rooting for or against the United States women's national soccer team in the Olympics? This one's an easy one. I was rooting against them hard, super hard, right? Because like Megan Rapino, she's doing all her stuff. And before the first game, kneeling there, wearing Nike sponsored, of course, uh, jumpsuits that say Black Lives Matter on it, which again, the statement makes perfect sense and everyone should agree with, but the organization is horrible and Marxist and satanic. But yes, I was actively rooting against these women because very few of these women decided in the run-up to the Olympics or in the Olympics to kind of be away from that. They wore the jumpsuits. They supported their teammates saying these horribly stupid things. So I could not have been more excited when Canada, right? I got a lot of listeners in Canada. I appreciate the gals in Canada. I think they went on to win the gold medal. I wasn't really paying attention, but they beat the United States in the semifinal and kept them from being in the gold medal match. The, the women's team did end up winning a bronze medal, you know, great for us, but you know, it's kind of like a little bit, I, I know it's conflicted about that. It's like, yeah, I kind of want them to just not even medal to just be like, suck it. Like y'all had to do all this stuff to prove how woke you were, but you forgot to train. You end up getting whooped on the international stage, probably by a bunch of people that you would think were racist. Like, so for me, I was actively rooting against those women. If you hate the country that you're representing, don't represent them, which segues nicely into the next question, which is, were you rooting for or against Gwen Berry? So Gwen Berry is going to be riding off into obscurity, hopefully, because Gwen Berry is the hammer thrower that disrespected the United States in the national anthem in the U.S. trials. I talked about that in an entire episode as well, so you can go back and listen to that. Yes, I was actively rooting against Gwen Berry, but the thing is, I didn't really have to because she's not that great of a hammer thrower. She got 11th in the competition, but they did what I thought they would do. They did like a little thing, a little vignette about her on the NBC sports thing. And then they showed one of her terrible throws and then they just moved on. But again, the woke crowd is not going to let Gwen Berry die because she's a hero, right? Yeah. I mean, she's basically like Harriet Tubman, right? She's basically Rosa Parks, modern day Rosa Parks, because she would 
disrespect the United States flag. So yes, I was actively rooting against her in this Olympics, but again, she only got third in the U S team trial. So you could expect her to, you know, basically just crack the top dozen. And she did. So there you go. Our next question here. Were you surprised there were not more protests at the Tokyo Olympics? Yes, I was shocked. And a lot of people preemptively said, I'm not watching the Olympics because of Gwen Berry and because of Megan Rapinoe and people like that. But I was shocked that more people didn't come out and do some stuff. I know there was a silver medalist in track and field for the U.S. that, you know, held up like an X or a fist or something on the podium, almost daring the Olympic Committee to take her medal away. And then she like twerked after one of her throws. She may have been discus or shot put. I don't really care. But I was really, really shocked that we didn't see more of it. And it was great. It was amazing to see all these people, all these Americans that loved this country and wrapped themselves up in the flag and just absolutely loved representing the greatest country in the history of the planet. Okay. So glad there weren't more protests because it made the Olympics that much more watchable. Okay. Next question. What do you think about Laurel Hubbard competing for New Zealand? So that is the dude that decided to be a woman and compete against women. This is a person that sucked as a male weightlifter, but had competed recently as a male weightlifter relatively recently, but then decides he's a woman and then he's going to compete in New Zealand, actually trots him out there as if he's an actual woman and competing in the Olympics. Now, Laurel Hubbard, this dude did horribly, right? Which Gave fodder, you would think, to the people that think that there's just no differences between men and women. There's none whatsoever. This person didn't even get a lift up. They didn't even medal. They, they, they didn't even make it to the podium. But that actually doesn't prove what you think it proves. Because a man still stole a spot from an actual female to compete. Because there should have been another Kiwi female competing in these Olympics. And they didn't. Right? Because this dude decided that he wanted to compete against the women. Now, this is a person that deserves our, our, you know, understanding and our empathy because this is a mentally unwell human being or a crazy selfish narcissist, one of the two, but neither is really, really great. Okay. But then you had these people, one of the best things, one of my best clips that I saw from the Olympics is they're talking to, I think it was one or two, uh, Olympic weightlifter females from great Britain and another one from the United States. And this woke reporter asks them, you know, not about their accomplishments and the things they were able to do. They said, Oh, you know, Laurel Hubbard competed as the first openly transgender athlete in the Olympics. It was a very, very historic night, uh, for her to compete in these Olympics. What do you think about it? And there was this long silence for about five seconds. And then the U.S. athlete leans over to the mic and just says, no, thank you. Oh, I thought it was the perfect answer. No, thank you. I'm not going to participate in this nonsense right now. So I love that these female athletes are pushing back because they know that if they have to start competing against men, that's going to affect their livelihoods. This is what these people do for a living in a lot of ways. They've dedicated their entire lives to this obscure sport that is only watched by really a relative handful of people. And when you have dudes coming in and busting up the party, it's inappropriate. So I'm glad they responded that way. All right, next question here about the Olympics. Who was your favorite non-American athlete that you saw compete in the Tokyo Olympics? So here's the thing, guys. I love handball. Handball is awesome. Of all the Olympic sports that everybody loves to watch, that's the obscure sport that I love watching because I would have loved to have played handball because you're basically, it's a bunch of short, like super giant, tall shortstops and second basemen. They're just in there jump throwing and all this crazy stuff. The ball is like 90% the size of a volleyball, but it's a little bit deflated. So you can really toss. It. It's more like one of those squishy dodge balls. And dude, it's such a cool sport to watch, but Mikel Hansen, right? He's the Denmark player. You know, he's the captain of the team or whatever. Now, Denmark ended up getting the silver medal, but I loved watching Denmark's matches, right? Th their matches were amazing. And this dude's got long hair and he wears a headband and he just looks like a dude. He like, he doesn't look physically impressive at all, but when that dude slings the ball, my goodness. So like, I just liked his style. I liked that he was a Dane, like, oh, that, that's kind of cool or whatever, but I loved watching uh, Mikhail Hansen. I'm sad they didn't win the gold medal, especially since they lost to France. I don't have a lot of listeners in France, but why are y'all so judgy? Why always point at us and all these things? I know we're fat here in America, but you know, leave us alone. Stop being so rude. All right. Next question here. What was your least favorite Olympic moment? Okay, so uh, pre-Olympics, I said that I was most excited to watch Simone Biles, Katie Ledecky, and Kyle Dake. So obviously, you've heard me talk a lot about Simone Biles and the disappointment that that was. Uh, Katie Ledecky did very, very good again. She lost one race that she should have won to her uh, Australian rival, but it was still okay. But really, Kyle Dake. I was very, very excited for Kyle Dake because he had finally busted through that, you know, he was being, being big-brothered by Jordan Burroughs for so long, but he finally made it through the trials, beat Jordan Burroughs. Basically, hey, Jordan Burroughs, you're going to be the one with the microphone talking about me wrestle. He wins his first match. 
But then him losing his second match was probably my least favorite thing I watched in the Olympics. So he lost to a guy. I'm going to have to read it slowly. Magomed Habib Kadimagomedov of Belarus. Okay. The second round match, he, he got teched. He lost 11 to nothing. This is the gold medal favorite, right? Right. Got smoked. And towards the end of the match, like the last takedown he gave up, it looked like he kind of literally gave up. So I was very disappointed to see that because I thought of all the United States wrestlers that he was the one that had the best chance at gold, which I ended up being, you know, supremely wrong on that. But I was very happy that Kyle Date got it together. He ended up wrestling for a bronze and winning the bronze medal. Uh, but yeah, that was my most disappointing thing, watching him get beat so badly. All right, now what was your favorite Olympic moment? And so I've got a moment here I'll describe in a second, but I do need to kind of take an aside and just talk about USA Wrestling. My goodness, USA Wrestling. The entire freestyle team, except for two female wrestlers, got medals. The entire team. So back in Rio, I think only three wrestlers went home with medals. We had that many gold medals. Okay. So Tamara Mensa Stock, she won gold in the 68 kilos. David Taylor, he won gold in the 86 kilos. And then Gable Stevenson, who we'll talk more about here in a second, he won gold in 125 kilos. And then you have Kyle Snyder taking silver, Adeline Gray taking silver, Helen Maroulis taking bronze, Thomas Gilman taking bronze, Kyle Dake taking bronze, and Sarah Hildenbrand taking bronze. But we got to talk about Gable Stevenson. Oh boy, do we need to talk about Gable Stevenson. So I'll be real honest. I had not really heard much about this guy until the NCAAs and when he went through as an undefeated heavyweight and won the NCAAs. Okay, great. Then he goes to the Olympic trials. Smokes everybody in the Olympic trials for the United States. And it's like, oh, he's doing backflips. This guy's got a good look to him, good looking guy. He's got a nice personality. People are talking about him going to the WWE. But then you got, you know, you got the big boys now, right? It's the Olympics, right? We've, we've got, you know, world champions and defending gold medalists in there, okay? But the thing about him is he didn't even give up a point leading to the gold medal match. And a lot of people didn't think he would really make it there, right? Because there was just too much stiff competition. And he actually beat the defending gold medalist from Rio on the way to the gold medal match. Again, not giving up a point. Okay. So Gino, again, I'm going to butcher this last name, Petria Shavili. Okay. From Georgia. He met him in the gold medal match. Now this guy, Gino, he's a three-time defending world champion, right? So this is a serious dude. But Gable Stevenson gets up four to nothing against this dude. And I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, breakout star. This guy's amazing. He's going to get a gold medal having never even given up a, a single point. This dude is amazing. And like that, he's down eight, five. I mean, in a flash, Gable Stevenson is down eight to five. Now, if you didn't watch this, I'm going to do my best to describe it to you, but you've got to go watch it. I don't really know what the legalities are about sharing the video, so I can't really play it here, but he's down eight to five with around 14 seconds left in the match. So this match is over, okay? He's down by more than one takedown, okay? He hits a takedown, this kind of a all shucksy takedown to make it eight to seven. But then he cuts him, he lets the guy up. There's six and a half seconds left on the clock and he's down one. Six and a half seconds is a really short period of time to hit a takedown for those of you that don't know about wrestling. But he kind of faints a shot he gets the guy down and kind of on his bases and he runs around, runs around, runs around, like runs around this guy's edge. He finishes a takedown with 0.3 seconds left on the clock to go up 9-8 and win the gold medal. I mean, I'm literally sitting there watching this on the floor in my house. I think I'm alone. I think I'm by myself. And I'm, man, I'm disappointed. These last 30 seconds, it's like, dadgummit, this, this young 21-year-old kid, this would have been such a cool deal for him to be able to go over to the WWE because, you know, with a silver medal, Kurt Angle could always be like, well, I got the gold with a broken neck and, you know, do his thing. But I literally, like, I was on the ground and, like, I don't know how I got to my feet. I didn't touch the ground. I just whoop. I was just up on my feet celebrating this unbelievable thing. And then, you know, the Georgian coach challenged it. And so he actually lost the challenge. So he got an additional point. So he won 10 to eight to take home the gold medal. This kid is a bona fide superstar and he can do whatever he wants. Most people don't think he's going to keep wrestling, you know, doing like freestyle wrestling, Olympic wrestling, even though he could compete again in three years. But if you're him, why, why would you? You're already an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Like that'd be cool if you got two in a row, but Hey, whatever. Who cares? This guy, you know, he could go to MMA, which there's not really anyone talking about him going to the MMA, uh, going to MMA, but Dana White, you know, he would back the truck up for that guy and just dump money in his lap, right? 
put him in there in the mix with John Jones at heavyweight and and Francis Ngannou and Cyril Ghosn and all those guys. I mean, my goodness. But it looks like he's going to do the WWE thing, which, hey, you can not put as much wear and tear on the body because you're not doing real fighting and you can make a bunch of money and become a superstar, do movies and whatever. So I'm excited about him. That's a very, very good thing. Uh, for the team for team USA and everything that went on. So kudos to the men's wrestlers and to the women, female wrestlers. And again, I do want to kind of go back and talk about, um, Tamara Mensa stock. She is the one that after she won her gold medal, she went viral because she was holding the flag and saying how much she loved representing the United States of America. So she's an example of somebody that actually looks at this country. And this is a black woman. She looks at this country and she loves it. Now, if you were to press her a little bit, I bet she would tell you about some things that she didn't really like that she experienced as a child. Or things that she sees in society that she doesn't really appreciate. But she's not like Megan Rapino. She's not like any of these whiners that are that hate the country that gave them everything, right? So I love that. Love that about her. But that wraps up the Olympics. Let's go ahead and keep launching into some other subjects here. All right, next question here. How do you go about picking a martial arts school? Okay, so I got this question from a guy in Germany. He actually is moving to a rural part of Germany. And so he's in a little bit of a different situation. But there's there's a lot of ways to answer this question, okay? So the first thing that you need to do is because he he kept it broad, like how do I pick a martial arts school, right? He didn't say jujitsu gym or boxing gym or something. The first thing you need to do is you need to pick a gym that teaches a real useful fighting style, right? So something like Wing Chun or or you know Aikido or karate or any of these fighting styles that don't really help people in a real fight, for the most part, because these flying head kicks and all that those are great. But in a street situation or in a self-defense situation, that doesn't really come into play, right? So if some guy's like moving you with his mind or, or teaching you how to just redirect someone's energy, no, no, you, you don't want any part of that, okay? So again, do look at something like the UFC and look at what the popular styles are for people that are really, 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 really successful. It's wrestling, jujitsu, Muay Thai, kickboxing, Western boxing, like those styles. Every now and then you'll have a guy with a karate background that goes in there and does well. And it's usually just because of their foot movement. But if they go in there having trained zero takedown defense, they will lose unless they hit some sort of highlight reel head kick or something like that. So you have to pick a real fighting style. The next thing that you need to talk, you need to kind of figure out is finding a gym that's maybe near you. Because the thing is, is if you're constantly having to drive 45 minutes to an hour to go to the gym at a certain point, that's going to become really, really difficult for you to do. But when you actually do find a gym that's near you, you need to kind of get a sense of what the room is, right? Is this a competition gym? Is everyone here going to have to be a competitor? Is that really within your wheelhouse? Is that something that you want to do? Maybe that's not the right fit for you. Or maybe you really, really, really do want to compete and there's not a lot of people in the school that compete. Maybe that's not the best fit, right? And for most of us here, there's, there's choices in terms of your community where you would be able to train. But the big thing I guess you need to figure out is whether or not you jive with the people there. Whether you jive with the coaches, you, you jive with your training partners, because this is going to become your extended family. It certainly has with me at the Forge. Training there for four years, like have deep relationships with my coaches and training partners. And, you know, I care about them. I care about their families. Like these are, these are part of, these are my people now, right? So if the first week you're there, you just, you don't really make friends. People seem kind of douchey or standoffish or clickish or something like that. Maybe that's not the right place for you. So you really have to kind of evaluate those people. But also, is this a gym that everyone's going hard all the time trying to kill each other? Right. I, I posted a video a long time ago of us training at the forge, but it was on Sunday night. It wasn't even a forge class and we were doing light sparring. Right. So just moving around, you know, doing some light sparring. No one's going to leave hurt. No one's going to leave bloody. And one of my buddies was like, oh, I guess you'll spar really light over there. And he goes to a gym, another gym here locally, where those guys literally try to kill each other every sparring session. It's like, yeah, I'm not trying to get brain damage. Just hanging out with buddies on a Sunday night. Right. And almost all those guys aren't MMA fighters. They're just in there trying to train hard, knock each other's heads off, right? So you don't want to be around a bunch of like ogres like that, okay? But then the last thing here, if it's very hard for you to get to the gym, like this guy, he's living in rural Germany. I'm assuming there's not a whole lot of jujitsu or wrestling schools out there, right? Videos work really, really, really well, especially now. So BJJ Fanatics, I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, they've got a lot of really good tutorials. I, I know this young kid, uh, he was a young white belt at the time. He started just basically focusing almost exclusively on Donaher's videos that you can get from BJJ Fanatics, right? So that's Donaher of the Donaher Death Squad. And he went from being pretty good to being like impossible to deal with, like almost overnight, like brown or like, you know, blue belt tapping brown belts and black belts with relative regularity right? But the thing for him is he was able to 
study those videos and immediately go and apply it at the gym. But I do know there's people that have had success where they'll study the videos and they'll maybe drill with like a dummy or something like that, or maybe someone that just lives in the neighborhood. But then once a week, they'll actually go try the stuff out at a real gym. So those are just some options for those of you looking for a new martial arts school or just an art martial arts school in general. All right, next question here. What Bible study would you suggest for someone wanting to seek the Lion of Judah? So this is an interesting question. Uh, I really appreciate it. And this is what I told the guy. What I told the guy that asked this question is read the Bible as if the Lion of Judah exists. When you're reading the Gospels, don't just read it thinking of the dirty blonde hair, blue-eyed, soft-featured white guy, Jesus, who's constantly, you know, cuddling lambs and giving people kisses on the tips of their noses. No, no, no. Think of him as a rough Middle Eastern Jew, dirty, sweaty, that was also very tender. Think of him as lamb and lion. So, you know, I could give you the scriptures where the line of Judah is mentioned, or you can just Google it for yourself. And, you know, all the times, even in the Old Testament, when the prophets were like pointing towards this line of Judah and those different things. But when you're reading the Gospels, when, when you're reading any mention or even people alluding to Jesus Christ, that's what you need to be thinking about, thinking that he came fully grace and fully truth, right? He was 100% of both. I say this all the time, but he was 100% lamb and 100% lion. So that's the best advice I can give to you. Whatever Bible study you're doing, Think about the line of Judah. All right, next question here. What are your thoughts on the Biden administration swooping in to continue the eviction protection in the United States? So for those of you not here, those of you not paying attention, there was an eviction moratorium where basically because of what the government shutdowns and all these people losing their jobs, that the United States government decided, okay, you people that own buildings, right, or own rental property, you can't evict your tenants for not paying you, right? Basically telling these people, hey, you can't run your businesses or hey, you can't, you know, do these things. Um, and then the Joe Biden administration, you know, basically this expired. And then, you know, Joe Biden was, you know, called a, a horrible person, even by people in the Democratic Party. And then he swoops in to basically say, hey, we're going to go ahead and keep this eviction protection there, even though he admitted publicly that that probably is not constitutional. But by the time they figured out in the courts, it, it will have already kind of worked its way out. I think this is absolutely terrible. Because there is a common understanding or thought process for people in the United States that if somebody owns rental property, if they're a landlord, that they're somehow rich. Okay. Now, rich is a relative term, but you assume someone has rent houses that they're a millionaire. And for a lot, for a lot of people, that is actually true. But for a lot of people, maybe they just have one or two rental properties. Maybe they started in a starter home, fixed it up, moved into a different house. And they decide to keep that other house as a rental property. And you're just going to pay the mortgage with, with your monthly rent, right? And those people are taking a risk because if one of your rental properties has a major issue, right? Like major, major plumbing issue or something happens with a storm and the insurance doesn't work out, like they're taking the loss. So for the United States government, and they did this starting under the Trump administration, be fair, but for the United States government to basically point at these people and say, you can't make money because we said so is horrific. Because a lot of these people, there are people out there that are struggling, right? There are people that are out there that have lost their jobs. They can't find work. But here's the thing that I know is that people are desperate to hire right now. So if you want a job, if you want to make income and not just sit there and wait for the government check, there's a lot of availability. Pretty much everywhere you look, everyone is hiring for almost every position. So these people, this idea that there's these people that are just like sitting in the corner, you know, counting their pennies and just hoping that, you know, the big bad, you know, landlord doesn't take them away and hopefully that the government can just step in and protect them. That's not really realistic. Again, that happens for some, but I, I think that's more anecdotal than actual, right? So I thought it was horrible that they did this. I thought it was horrible that it was even started. But again, the United States government started this whole problem. Really, I guess you could say the Chinese government started this entire problem. But the United States government shutting everything down, crushing the economy, that was an active decision. So they had to help out people somehow. But for this to continue, it's putting an undue burden on these people that don't have a thousand rental properties and they can accept the loss, right? So a lot of these people are just waiting for the government dole to run out. And the Joe Biden administration is trying to make sure that the dole never runs out. That's where they're headed. So whatever. Next question here. Who is the number one person you would want to interview on the podcast? So uh, I've thought about this a lot. So I kind of have a little bit of a Mount Rushmore people in my head. But if I could interview anybody on this podcast, it would be Dr. Jordan Peterson. So the author of 12 Rules for Life and Beyond Order. But I think he's been so 
incredibly important to men specifically, and even Christian men. Uh, again, people want to you know quibble with his theology and different things like that, and that's all fine. And that, those would be things that I would talk to him about. But if I could set something like up uh, like that up, so hey Jordan, if you're listening to this or anybody close to Jordan Peterson, just let him know that I want to talk to him. All right, next question here: What is the worst part about training jujitsu? So <laughs> this one's easy. Um, the worst part about training jujitsu is the injuries. Okay. It is so much fun to train. It's fun to go hard. It's way better than running, right? You know, you, you can just be absolutely dripping sweat just by doing a normal jujitsu class. But for me, I think I've, I've said this on the podcast, I've been training for four years and I've probably lost a year to injuries total, right? I had big chunks where I had surgery and, you know, I had other, other times where, you know, a little neck problem here, a little shoulder problem there, you know, a little knee problem there. And that's really the hard thing. And part of it is my training style. I train really, really, really hard. I go incredibly hard and that's not always the best thing right? Uh, there are times whenever you should kind of dial it back. And I've gotten a lot better about that, being able to kind of dial it back. Um, but sometimes you just get hurt. You know, there's just random freak things that get hurt. Like when I hurt my thumb, like every tendon was ripped out of my thumb. Like it was, it was bad, but it was just kind of a freak deal. It didn't happen on purpose. It's just kind of the way that it, that it crumbled. So, but I don't want that to dissuade any of you to train jujitsu. Because the thing is, is, if you go golf all the time, again, I love picking on golf. Like you're probably not going to get hurt right? You may be kind of, oh, you may be pull something in your back because oh, I swung a little too hard without warming up. But jujitsu is something like, again, golf is not a transferable skill to a real life situation, right? Unless you're swinging that driver at the guy breaking in your house, unless you're swinging that at his head. But again, that's not the same as you would give the swing to a golf ball, right? But when you're training jujitsu, you're actually learning how to do things that could be practically used to protect you or protect someone that you love or even a stranger, right? But also just the life lessons you get from jujitsu, you know, the ego trips that you maybe were on and then you went into a jujitsu gym and you had to kind of get that under control. Again, I've, I've done entire podcasts about the, the, good, the good things about jujitsu, but the injuries are probably the worst part. All right, now we're going to get into some vaccine questions as we kind of crescendo towards the end here, because I've been asked a lot about my thoughts on getting the vaccine. And I believe on a previous episode, I know for sure, I just don't know what episode it was. I basically said it was none of your business whether or not I get the vaccine. But I've had a lot of people talk about it, and now we've had the Delta variant, and then we'll probably have the Echo variant and the Foxtrot variant after that. But, you know, there's all this, all these questions are now coming back up, okay? But the answer to that question is that as of right now, Kyle Thompson, me, I'm not planning to get the vaccine. I'm not planning to get the vaccine, okay? Now, my wife and I have made that decision together for both of us. And we've decided not to take the vaccine for several reasons. Okay. So this wasn't just like a, well, I like Tucker Carlson, so I'm not going to take the vaccine. Well, I'm going to do what Trump would do. No, right. That, that's not really the reason we've thought this through and here basically the breakdown of the reasons. So the first reason is that my wife and I have some level of natural immunity because of prior infection. Okay. We had COVID in January. Both of us did and likely mean sweet baby James had it as well, but we have some level of natural immunity. We just don't know how much. Okay. But I don't see a, a lot of stories about people that got COVID a year ago that got COVID again and got hospitalized. So we have some level of, of immunity. So that's the first reason. The next reason is that the vaccine is still under emergency authorization and does not have FDA approval. Right now, I'm not a, even a huge fan that there is an FDA, but this is under emergency authorization, which leads me into kind of my next reason is there are no studies as to the long-term problems with the vaccine and what it will cause, if any, because I, I would hope, I would pray that there are no massive issues with this vaccine. But we got this vaccine miraculously in less than a year, right? The, the Trump administration was able to, to pull that off, to really take the chains off so these companies could do that. But again, the FDA still hasn't fully approved this vaccine. And you would think that would be the top thing on the list for the FDA to be able to do, right? So that's concerning to me. The next reason is I've actually seen some very scary information about the potential impact the vaccine could have on the reproduction organs of women. And my wife and I are not done having children. So uh, there was actually this really long podcast uh, with some guys on it. I'll, I'll try to figure it out. Uh, maybe and I'll put it in the show notes. But these are guys that are the dudes that know everything about COVID, right? They know everything about the vaccines and they know everything about everything. And they're showing some concerns about how the vaccine is not staying in the part of the body that it should, that it's having some, some impacts on women that are trying to reproduce. And so that was scary to us. And I guess the last reason here is that my wife and I are young, we're healthy, and we have no pre-existing conditions. Okay. So when we got COVID earlier this year, there was not really any concern that we weren't going to do well with it. It was not a fun few days for us. 
and I kind of kind of got back to the to the grind way too early, and I kind of set myself back a little bit. But it wasn't as bad as the last time we had the flu, right? It wasn't as bad as the last time I had strep throat, right? It wasn't fun. I wouldn't want to do it again. But if I had to do it again, no big deal, right? But that's why we've chosen not to get the vaccine, okay? But I want to tell you that because that's what the Thompsons decided. You've got to make your own decision. I'm merely telling you, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm giving you my reasons. If you choose to get the vaccine, great. It, it literally will not bother me one bit. If someone's like, well, I got the vaccine, I don't automatically think, oh, sheep. No. And now, if you wear a mask outdoors, not near anybody, or a mask in your car by yourself, yeah, sheep, you're a moron, you're an idiot. But for any of you guys, you have to make your own calculus, your own decision. You know, I have some friends in my life that are, that are very overweight. They're young, but if they were to get COVID, I would be afraid that they wouldn't make it, right? I have some members of my family that are sick, that are actually sick. And that is, that is an issue that it's like, Hey, I, you don't get to have this choice necessarily, right? You do because you're an autonomous human being, but I want you to be safe and I want you to be around for, for the family. Right? So for those people, I would highly, highly encourage them to do that. But my wife and I were in our, you know, mid thirties, we haven't had any other issues. We've had COVID before. It wasn't that big a deal. And I'm not worried about the variants. Okay. So that's my reasoning. Uh, next couple of questions have to do uh, with the vaccine and with COVID in general. So the next question here is, will you comply with vaccine passport mandates? No. No. Now, I live in Oklahoma, and I haven't heard yet that, you know, from National Walmart or National Target, like, okay, uh, you can't go into our stores without proof of vaccination or the masking. But here's where I stand on the issue is I'm not doing masks anymore. Right. Unless, you know, if I'm at the airport and I'm traveling to see some of you guys, you know, I'll do that just to appease these people. Even though the last time I flew, I didn't really do that. And, you know, whatever, you kind of make waves and kind of move on with your life. But I will not comply with vaccine passports and I will not comply with masking because COVID, for the most part, is done. Now, I know there's a Delta variant. I know that there are hospitals that have, you know, ICU beds that are all taken. And I, and I know these things, right? COVID is here to stay. COVID is with us forever, right? Whether it was released on purpose by the Chinese or accidentally or whatever, they, they have completely changed the trajectory of the world, right? It's here to stay. Now we just have to deal with it. But at this point, every single adult in the United States has had the ability and the chance to get this vaccine for free. All of them. So if you're currently unvaccinated, it's because you've chosen not to get the vaccine. It's not because you haven't been able to find the time yet right? No one is that busy. If you want to get the vaccine, it's available everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's a sign that says, get your vaccine here, whether it's the Pfizer or the Moderna or whatever, it's available, right? But everyone's making a decision, right? And everyone by this point has made a decision whether to get the vaccine or not. So people are wondering, why aren't we at 100% vaccination? This is crazy. Why are all these people groups not getting vaccinated? It's because they're autonomous human beings and they can make whatever freaking decision they want to. Okay. So for you that I would encourage, if there is a national chain, if, the, if Walmart decides you can't shop in Walmart without either proving that you've gotten the vaccine or wearing a mask, don't shop at Walmart. Shop somewhere else. Shop somewhere else. Make your voices heard. We're not going to comply with this, okay? Because we, we haven't seen any evidence to prove that masking even works to the extreme degree that our government overlords are pretending it does, right? We're not seeing that. And this passport, right? That, like what New York City has done, that, that you can't eat at a restaurant or go to a gym without showing proof of vaccination. First of all, how easily would that be to disprove or to, to fake and forge, first of all? But you're forcing people that if they want to live in your city and be able to operate within your city to get this vaccine, to inject something into their body that hasn't even gotten FDA approval yet, are you out of your minds? So no, I will not be complying with vaccine passport mandates or mask mandates. Last question of the day, if sweet baby James was in school right now, which he's not because he's 15 months old, if he was in a school now and the school required that he wear a mask while at school, what would you do? This one's easy. Pull him out of the school. But yeah. If he were five years old and they're like, oh, he's got to wear a mask. Why? Like before I pulled him out of the school, I would obviously go before the principal, go before the superintendent and go before the school board and be like, can anyone here prove to me how these children are made safe by wearing masks? Anybody, give me the data that shows that when a child wears a mask, it protects them from COVID. 
But that's not the point. The point is not protecting the children. It never has been. These teachers, these supposed heroes, right? These people that, you know, go to work every day teaching kids, you know, right? These heroes that we're just supposed to bow down and worship to. It's about them and it's about the teachers unions. Because it's like, well, what if a kid has COVID and is asymptomatic and they give it to the teacher? Oh, you mean the teacher that already had the opportunity to get the vaccine? That one? Oh, you mean the teacher that could drop a few 50 pounds or so and be a lot healthier and make better health decisions? That person, you're going to make our kids mask up because you don't want your teachers to get sick? That is not their problem. They're children. Your job is to educate these children, right? Not give them your ideas about race and about sexuality and all these different things. It is to teach them English. It is to teach them mathematics. It's to teach them science. That is your job. If you are scared that you're going to get sick by being around children, that is not a them problem. That is a you problem. Fix it. You wear a mask. You get the vaccine. You quit your job. Okay? But the stats that we do have coming out right now that are proving things, they're proving that these children have been absolutely destroyed by how these school districts have handled themselves over the last year plus. Destroyed. Learning via the web, right? E-learning for these children doesn't work. It does not work. These children are going to be coming back to school in the fall for the most part a year behind. You have kids that are not up to standards that weren't up to standards before, even with in-person teaching, which is another reason not to think of teachers as this homogenous group of heroes because most of them suck at their jobs. But you have these children that are not getting playtime with their friends. They're being taught that their friends are vectors of a disease as opposed to human beings, okay? So why in the world would you subject your child to that? Now, there are a lot of states that are basically saying, screw you. No, we're not doing the mass mandates. The CDC has changed their minds on everything. We're not going to listen to whatever Dr. Fauci says that we should do with our children. We're going to educate our children, and we're not going to look at people as vectors of transmission. We're going to look at them as human beings, and the teachers are going to do their jobs. The administrators are going to do their jobs, and the kids are going to get down to the business of learning. And if you have a school or a school district that isn't down with that, that they love everything the CDC says. They trust Joe Biden implicitly. They, they trust Dr. Fauci and everyone else in the CDC implicitly. Then great. You go for it. You send your child to school with a cloth mask on and pretend that's going to protect them from evil and protect them from danger. Right? But to everybody else paying attention, they can do this with COVID. They can do it with the flu. Again, for the millionth time, the flu is more fatal for a child than COVID-19 is, regardless of the variant, which by the way, you can't get a test for just the Delta variant, right? So everyone's talking about the Delta variant. What if people are getting sick from the original variant, right? Alpha or whatever, right? So that's just an aside. But again, like we have these students that need to learn inside of their classrooms, but we're going to keep them from doing that in a normal way. We're going to stunt their psychological development as well as their scholastic development because some overlords in the government still want to be relevant. I'm sorry, the answer is no. And if you parents band together, so if your school district, if they're kind of like, oh, I don't really know what we're going to do because we're right on the heels of it. Kids are going back to school this week and next week, right? If they're going to require these mask mandates, you get every parent, I'm like screaming at the mic, you get every single parent in your area that you know, even just relatively, even if you've only seen them once in person, you get them together and you all march your butts down there to the school and you tell them, no, the answer is no. Now, if it's a public school, they still get funding anyway. The only way they're not going to get your tax dollars is if you move. And guess what? They'll get it from some other dope that's going to move into your house right after you leave, right? But you go and you demand and you say, absolutely not. You walk your child into the school without a mask on and you say, I dare you to kick my kid out of school today. And then have another kid after that do that. And another parent after that. And another parent after that. And you keep doing that. And eventually they're going to be like, okay, we can't piss off the flock this much. So I could not be more, I could not feel more strongly about how these schools are doing and making decisions to the detriment of their children. And they don't care. And at some point you've got to call them out. You see what happens when you make me mad at the very end of a podcast. My voice gets all frayed and crap. And I got another interview I got to do later, but Hey, 
You know what? It is what it is. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for sending in the questions. If you do want to send in questions in the future, you can send them in via email. You can just go to info at undaunted.life or you can go to our website and just go to the contact page or shoot them to me on social media. But before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now at Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got the partner link. So again, guys, we really, really appreciate you, but we need your help to keep this stuff going. So you can go to www.undaunted.life backslash donate and then yeah i was able to find that podcast here the dark horse podcast is called how to save the world in three easy steps that's robert malone steve kirsch and brett weinstein so uh that's a youtube link to that episode they spend three hours talking about the vaccine so i think that'd be helpful for you guys all right thanks so much for listening to the podcast we do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this please subscribe rate and review if you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life that's info at undaunted.life Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook. You can also check out our website for everything else, including how to donate, like I've told you about. For more content like this to keep coming your way, just go to www.undaunted.life. And lastly, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.